This is Chris Goldberg. Uh, Thank you for reading Philly Lacrosse and listening to the next More Than a Club podcast. Welcome to the More Than a Club podcast with Marty Cuprian and Delay. Welcome back to the More Than a Club podcast, season three. We're thrilled to be back in the studio for episode eight and in person, ready to take on another special guest with deep Philly lacrosse roots. I'd like to welcome back my co-host, Marty Cuprian. Happy New Year, Coop. Great to be back with you. Thanks, Bill. Great to be back on the same team again after a couple weeks of intense boys versus girls box lacrosse battles over there at the Steel Yard in King of Prussia. Thanks for all you're doing, along with Coach Resch, Coach Manny, Coach Law, Coach Henwood, and all of our awesome coaches over there to grow the box game uh, throughout our area. It's really fun to be a part of, and I'm sorry I always turn up the music too loud. It's okay. It's a great playlist, Coop. Keep it rolling. As far as this podcast goes, we're starting this journey in October of 2019, and we're so proud of the more than 30 episodes that we've already accomplished. Both of us have grown from this continued project, and we are still lighting up, talking about potential guests, topics to tackle, feedback we're hearing, and more. In 2022, we look forward to adding more female voices in the mix. In an effort to better represent all that is NXT lacrosse and our great world of lacrosse out there. Other than that, we don't plan on changing too much as far as the format of the show and our mission. We thank you for listening. With that being said, let's welcome today's guest, Laurie DeLuca. I know Laurie best as a coworker here at Next Sports, where she leads and serves our girls lacrosse clinics, camps, club teams, and general community. She is also a former college coach, married to a current college coach, and a mom to a couple of talented student athletes. I'm very excited to get to know her a little bit better, learn about the lacrosse world from her perspective, and to welcome her to her podcast debut. Welcome, Laurie. Thanks so much, guys. Really excited to be here. Humbled and honored. We're thrilled to have you, Coach. So let's get to know each other better. I know you're very humble, but we're going to roll through your amazing list of accomplishments. You can just smile over <laughs> there, okay, and be, and be proud. We'll start at the high school level. District 1 runner-up at Haverford High, high School, All-American in 1998, and then a Haverford High School Hall of Fame induction in 2017. At the University of Delaware, a long list of accomplishments. Third team IWLCA All-American goalkeeper, 2002. Four-time starter and captain as a senior. Three-time first-team All-Region. First-team Academic All-American in 2002. First-team American East. American East Rookie of the Year in 1999. And Delaware Lacrosse All-Time Record. Second place in career saves, 754. Save percentage of .560 and minutes played, 3,797. I wonder who's counting, Coach. (laughs) We're going to keep going. Head girls lacrosse coach, Sanford School, present. Is that true? Uh, Actually had to resign um, after last spring season. I'll I'll contact my uh, people at Wikipedia. (laughs) Director, Green Turtle Lacrosse Club in 2019. Director, 302 Lacrosse Club. Director of Lacrosse Operations at Duke, 2015. Assistant Coach and Defensive Coordinator at Cornell, 2002 to 2008. There, some of your highlights include uh, leading the goalkeeper, Maggie Fava, or Fava? Fava. Fava, um, to become 13 All-American and Ivy League Co-Player of the Year. Uh, You coached Cornell to a share of its first Ivy League championship in 2006. Also co-founded Ithaca Little Red Lacrosse. Laurie, as we look back at a couple awesome stops in your coaching career, what sticks out that you're most proud of, or is there anything that we missed? Thanks, Coop. I think I'm most proud of being a part of some wonderful teams at Haverford, winning the Central League Championship, both in basketball and lacrosse, and uh, making it to the state playoff game. Um, And then at Delaware, being a part of the American East uh, Championship and then making it to the uh, NCAA tournament when there were only 12 teams allowed. 
It's an amazing list of accomplishments, Coach. But I want to get into Delco, Delaware County, baby, right? Delco folks are awfully proud. Delco. What's, what's it like growing up in Delco, kind. and what's it like representing Delco back in Haverford High? I think that's what is so wonderful about being here. I mean, um, the closest that I've ever been, um, aside from leaving for college, we've lived in a bunch of places and back to my uh, my roots, which has been amazing to be around my friends and family. Um, and there's there's no place like Delco. It's a different breed, for sure. So my favorite Delco story, LaSalle story, we were playing them in a regular season game, Springfield, Delaware County. Mm -hmm. And we arrived at their field, and they <coughs> were warming up and stretching, and so were we. And then they all lined up across the restraining line with their backs to us. And under their shirts that hung out from below the jerseys, their zip code, one zip code oh, yeah. all the way across. I love that because here's us, a prep school. We have zip codes from Jersey all the way to Absolutely. northern Pennsylvania, and they're lined up, and they were sending us a little message. We all come from the same <laughs> town. Get ready. Love it. Yeah, Delco, Delco to Delaware. Uh, moving on to our youth sports hot topic for parents. Uh, one thing Lori wanted to talk to our audience about is, you know, pleading with parents, please stop coaching from the sidelines. Um, tell us more about that. I just think that your daughter or son is, you know, trying their best and probably dealing with a lot more pressure than I think we realize. And, you know, I think it's I'm a parent, so I can I can speak to this. Um, it's our job to be supportive and support what they're doing on the field, but also support the coaches and what the coaches are trying to get accomplished as well. And, you know, if your child is constantly looking over to the sideline and, you know, wanting your approval and wanting feedback and thinking that they're, you know, doing the right thing, then they're not receiving the proper attention or they're not receiving the, the proper message from the coach because their attention is not where it should be. And, um, you know, I think back to when I was a player, you know, were my parents doing that? And, you know, the answer is no. Um, so I'm not quite sure where that culture shift happened, but I do think it's an issue and I uh, think that we can do a better job as parents. Well, I know where that culture shift happened for me. My daughter is a women's lacrosse player. She must have been in fourth grade. I'm on the sideline, and I'm not doing the best job being dad. Instead, Coach Leahy is just feeling it, and I'm with all these other parents. And my Emily catches the ball right up the sideline. She comes right past me, clearing, and I'm yelling, like, headman, pass the ball downfield. <laughs> and I'm still going at it, and then huh. she stops. She throws the ball to her teammate. She stops and looks right at me and says, hey, dad, you worry about you, and I'll worry about me. Mm -hmm. And all the parents were like, ooh, <laughs> you just got it. But she could not have said it any better yeah my job is to be the parent and cheer her on and her job is to play and even that from there on I struggled a little bit until a dear colleague at, at school at LaSalle basketball coach hall of fame coach who has a son who uh, plays sports and it was a student at LaSalle at the time and he said you know it's not your job to be their coach and their dad it's your job to be her dad yeah. and dads talk about dad things like come here kiddo I'll give you a hug I love you I love watching you and your sisters play the coaching things belong to the coach when you start mixing them up bill you're going to get awfully confused and after that i think the message started to sink in it wasn't good enough just to get commented to by my daughter it's when my colleague said you're a dad do dad things so true how do you manage parents or how do you kind of set expectations with them um you know for either of you to experience coaches at the start of a season how do you how do you set the tone well, for, for us at Next, we have a, a parent meeting, um, and we kind of, you know, go through the expectations and the guidelines um, for behavior and what is acceptable and what's not acceptable. And then if we do feel like there is a persistent issue, um, then, you know, we'll need to address that. But um, just as long as, you know, everyone just needs to be on the same page, you know? Yeah. All rowing in the in the same direction, right? So moving on, uh, something for coaches. We like to call our X and O insight of the week. Uh, this week, you have a couple different 
you know, really speaking topics of uh, things that each coach can, you know, reflect on uh, as they start a new season or the new year here? I think one being a, a lifelong learner with a growth mindset, uh, get to know your players and take the time to build relationships. Relationships, in my opinion, are way more important than X's and O's. Um, coaching isn't about you. It's about serving and uplifting others. Uh, you never know the impact that you're going to have on a young person. So just take the time to care. That kind of leads into my three C's, compassion, care, and competence. And then lastly, just be authentic because um, the kids can see that. I love these, Coach. Uh, guidance counselor Leahy's all over these. I'm all excited. So growth mindset, right? Um, maybe some of our listeners, it's a very hot topic these days, this whole idea of growth mindset. But really what it means in a simple definition is seeing failure as a chance to learn. Then when they studied thousands of young people and adults with, who have a growth mindset versus a fixed mindset, that's the opposite. And that growth mindset individuals fail and they say, I didn't fail. This is such a great opportunity. I learned this didn't work. I learned this. I learned that. Let's roll again. And they're ability to be resilient and see failure as an, an attempt for them to gain more resilience. It's a skill that they have to learn only through failing, which helps them grow. And they see all that. They see that their learning isn't stagnant. It's not fixed. Like yeah. our book, uh, Grit. Totally. Right. Oh, it's in I the same family as yeah. Angela Duckworth and Grit. The opposite is having a fixed mindset, which is seeing a failure as a representative of who you are. I failed. Therefore, I'm, I must not be good enough which is a complete opposite. And it's amazing when young people and adults have a growth mindset, they just keep marching on. It, it might hurt whatever their failure is or was. It might hurt, but they keep going. The other thing I loved, Coach, and I'd like to hear a little more. Could you repeat the three C's and just dive in slightly about them? Sure. Uh, compassion, care, and competence. So, you know, I think in order to be a great coach, a great mentor, you know, you need to show compassion to your kids. You need, they need to feel like you care about them outside of the lacrosse field. And then competence is just, you know, knowing the game to the best of your ability. Yep, I love it. And number three, your coaching isn't about you. You must have been around in my later days at LaSalle lacrosse because I would say that this isn't about you. And they'd say, it's not about you either, coach. I said, correct. It's not about me or you. It's Absolutely. about the team. Absolutely. I was telling Coop this. I, I saw a quote. The other day, I'm a quote geek, but it just was so right on the money. Like, you don't coach for recognition. You coach to drive the bus, essentially. And you are leading this group to where they need to be. And so it's never about you. It's, you know, for me, it's paying it forward. Like, that's your job. Um, you're fortunate enough to do it. And, um, you know. You're the driver of the bus. Yeah, you're dancing all around the energy bus right now. Yeah. <laughs> you know, John Gordon's book, The Energy yeah. Bus. And many years ago, we made an energy bus in the locker room and put it on the wall. And then you had to be nominated by your teammates to get on the bus by exactly what you wrote, uplifting and serving others. So if I helped you, Coach Coop, pass a Spanish test because I tutored you because you're my teammate and I need you at practice and I need you and the team needs you at the game, and if you're failing Spanish, you're not going to be available <laughs> to be at the game. And I tutored you, and then you went on to be, you know, get a B in Spanish. That got you nominated, nominated to get to be on the bus. And then we take a picture of the guy. Then the person nominating him had to say, I'm nominating Coach Coop because he tutored me in Spanish, and that served the team, and it also served me. And so... You know, it was amazing to see like 30 out of 40 guys get nominated to be on the bus. And if you have 30 out of 40, you're well on your way. But there's always a couple who never, mm -hmm. you know, they just don't get how to serve others. And it doesn't matter once you get to 30, 35, because the last five, you just time to the bus and away you Servant go. Servant leadership. That was the year they were calling all those plays in Spanish. <laughs> Everyone's like, what's up with LaSalle this year? It's like, I don't know. Something, something's going on. Uh, let's move on. Culture building, something for players. Speaking to players in our audience, what would you tell them, Coach DeLuca? I think that you need to you need to think about how your daily habits are impacting your goals, your dreams. Are you showing discipline by doing the right thing every day? I mean, you you need to walk the walk and talk the talk. Um, 
So what we say in my house is, well done is better than well said. So little things add up. Um, the other thing that, you know, from my um, high school coaching days, I would tell my team every day, hey, let's just get 1% one percent better today. Let's just make sure that today is a better day than yesterday. Um, and then uh, along with that, control the controllables. Like you are responsible for your attitude, you're responsible for your effort, and you're responsible for being a good teammate. Um, you know, I think the kind of the opposite end of that uh, is the creative piece, which I know um, the three of us talked about earlier, but I do think it is really important for creativity to flow with the players as well. Like, they need to be able to express themselves because that is a big part of playing, and it does need to be joyful. So um, that was kind of a lot in, uh, in there, but... Those are my thoughts. No, it's great because there's a tension there, right? There's a tension between being disciplined and being creative. And mm -hmm. I even threw in stupid <laughs> <laughs> because, you know, there's, there's being disciplined and doing what your coach asked and being a disciplined player and getting up every day and doing the right things on the field mm -hmm. uh, and off the field. And then there's a degree of freedom where you want to be creative, but too much creativity is stupid. And so, yes. you know, me and you compared that to systems versus play. You want to dive into that a little bit? Yeah, great point. Um, so something that we've talked a lot about as coaches, um, you know, from my vantage point, there, there needs to be structure and there needs to be a system for offensive movement so the kids can be creative. But I do think some coaches tend to rely on, you know, uh, plays all the time. And in that sense, the kids aren't being creative and they might not necessarily know how to to move off ball as well as they should um, and when and where to cut and how to you know read what their defender is giving them because they're so programmed to you know I need to go from x to y um, and that's how the play is designed so I do think that the there's a huge difference between you know structure and plays. And somewhere in there is the player's own freedom mm -hmm. to make decisions. And that's what we were talking about before the show. And so as a coach, we put in our offensive system. And this is how the system should run. Right. However, there are moments breaking down all the time where if we just follow the system, we've missed a great opportunity. For example, make an obvious one, a defenseman falls down. Or a less obvious one, you've taught your players when to cut. And now all of a sudden... Jennifer has realized that her defender has turned their head, and so she cuts. But at that moment, she is out of the system. She has made a freelance choice, which right. is the correct choice. Right. And everyone else has to recalculate around her just for that moment to see if there's a scoring opportunity off the off-ball cut. And off-ball lacrosse, we could have a whole show on. <laughs> but then, then if, that, if that succeeds, great. We have a goal or a, goaling op a scoring opportunity. But if it fails, we have to quickly recalibrate back into the system rather than having the system blown up because Jennifer chose of her own freedom to cut. Right. Then on the far other end of this is what you're saying is coaches who just call plays. That's, that's called football. Exactly. You just call a play, they run it, you call another play, they run it. And the truth is, at least for me, you know, you have your system with the players free. They have to follow the system. However, given the right moment and their own freedom, because they've learned right when to make their own choices, and then plays are when we as coaches, when they're stuck, when the system's not working. And we need to get to the goal. Exactly. And we call play. But even plays, right? You've got to run plays well. That means a lot of rehearsing and practicing. Because the play is designed. If everybody does it right and the opponent on defense falls into the play, like they go for it. They don't see it. They don't step around picks. Like they it don't figure it out. It should work. Right. But timing is a big part of that. And it should be, as you, you're saying, a specific moment in the game, I think, for either uh, a last-minute goal or if you – if you know that you can, um, I guess, beat the defense a certain way. So there's, I guess, specific situations for that. Laurie, the first part of what you said really resonated with me. It reminded me of a quote that I've been passing on to a lot of our players. That quote I heard last year in the NBA Finals from the Suns coach, Monty Williams, he said, everything you want is on the other side of hard. And he went on to say a little bit more, but the main point was, it's nice you have goals, it's nice you can talk about it, but you have to really be about it. 
and anything worth um, talking about and working for, it's not going to be easy. So I think that's probably something you're saying to a lot of the younger players you coach at next, having the advantage of, you know, coaching at the college level and seeing that end. So um, I think it's easy to dream big, but lacrosse is really one of those sports that you have to go play every day, keep that stick in your hands, and it, it can take you some places. Absolutely. Completely agree. And I think that question, uh, quote, plays into what we were just talking about, right? You have a system, you have plays. We talked about creativity. We talked about discipline and the tension involved with all these. But players also have to be tough, and that's what you're referring to. That's what that quote says. Yeah. You, know, you got to be tough. We used to have the guys define it, and one team defined toughness as to always choose the hardest path as long as it is always also the wisest. Mm. We put that up in the locker room, and I was like, that's good. Now can we live it? And they were like, yeah. So like, when it comes time for the seedings, we want, we want the hardest team. We want the highest seed early. Let's go. And I'm like, yeah, but we could like see them later down the journey. <laughs> and they were like, that doesn't live up to our definition, coach. So moving on to our guest roundtable section of the show. Laurie, tell us a little bit about youth lacrosse. Where'd you learn how to play? Tell us more about Delco. Funny story. Um, my eighth grade basketball coach was also the eighth grade lacrosse coach at Haverford Middle School. And threatened me one day by saying, Laurie, I'm not going to start you in this basketball game if you don't try out for the lacrosse team. <laughs> and uh, Perfect. And that's how it was born. So uh, Coach McShane, I, uh, I owe a lot to her because she forced me to do it. And then um, from there, I was really fortunate enough to um, play on an amazing team at Haverford, have an awesome coach, um, Coach McGoldrick. Was it goalie right away? Because I know you're you're known for being uh, really an electric goalie. By the time you got to college, was it always goalie? It was actually. Um, they needed one, and I was crazy enough to uh, to jump in there. So uh, it was. Wow! And Coach Henwood uh, told me your sister, your older sister, was also a player too. Is that right? Younger. Younger sister. Yeah. Okay. So she played at Penn State. Kind of followed my footsteps of being a goalie um she she's three years younger than me so i was a senior she was a freshman um actually cool story she, i played my last collegiate game against her wow um delaware versus penn state she won unfortunately but um yeah she she had an amazing career actually way better than me no, i think goalies always have styles Agreed? Oh, 100%. Absolutely. Okay, so Brian Docker, who's on the show, he's got a style. He's always talking smack. His <laughs> mouth is running. And, and he's known for being an excellent baiter and giving up lots of space on one side. Yep. So the shooter falls for that. That's what baiting is. So what's your style? You know what? I think that I tried back in the day. I think my sister did too. Try to get the um, stereotype of the goalie out, out the window. Um we were more athletic and tried to play, um, actually tried to play defense sometimes where going for interceptions and ground balls and was kind of like an extra man on the field in a lot of ways. Um, but, you know, my stance on it is you want your goalie to be one of the most athletic kids on the field. That's how I have always felt, and that's how my style of play, I hope, you know, reflected that. So you're this amazing high school goalie. I'm sure you're getting recruited. Can you tell us a little bit about your recruiting path and how you then chose or ended up at Delaware? Yeah, sure. Um, I actually met my college coach at a, a goalkeeping camp um, in high school. We kind of had formed a, a great relationship. I, I knew right away that she was a great lady, and uh, she recruited me to Delaware at a couple – of other offers, but decided on uh, the blue and gold, and um, it was perfect choice for me. I had uh, an amazing experience there. How amazing! Uh, <laughs> I obviously went to college there, so I had some fun. But I think when we talked to Chris Goldberg, you know, he lit up talking about you know your team's success and how fun you were to watch. Um, tell us a little bit about that team and time at Delaware. Chris Goldberg, Philly Lacrosse, love it. Um, Delco. He, love he, he got his first writing gig writing for the school paper at University of Delaware oh, uh, many right. moons ago yeah, in the right. 
in the nineties and uh, <laughs> a pretty cool story that came out of his, his time on the podcast. Delaware was an amazing experience. Um, you know, you often reflect back on how, you know, specific experiences and people shaped you and got you to where you are. And there's no doubt, like I wouldn't be where I am today without the people who had, uh, ha I've been fortunate enough to guide me. Um, so I'm, I'm sorry. You guys I, made history, right? Like made the NCAAs and you were also pretty successful, maybe all American, academic, all American, <laughs> a couple things like that. Yes, we uh, we won a American East Championship my freshman year. Then my junior year, we went on to make it to the NCAA tournament. Um, at that point, there were only 12 teams selected, so that was a pretty big deal. Um, all the other individual accolades, you know, I can't thank my teammates and coaches enough. I'm not really all about that. So all these amazing accomplishments, which you're not all about, I know, but we are, so it's all good. How about low points? As athletes, we struggle. I think sometimes we forget it's a journey, and that journey means highs, lows, boring moments. What do you regret? I, I don't know that I would say I, I regret anything. I think uh, the way to frame it is every experience that you go through is a learning opportunity and growth mindset, growth mindset right there, baby. Um, I also think that the one thing that maybe wasn't as ideal for me is, um, I came from a high school where we won all the time. And so like that taught me winning that taught me, how to win that taught me you know the principles of how to compete and that environment got to delaware where it was a little different in the regard of not every single person on my team was as dialed in as i was and i think that as a leader and a captain that that was tricky to navigate but it taught me a lot about how to become a better leader um and kind of what I wanted to to get out of it um but there were certain points where you know it was it was challenging for sure all right the guidance counselor and me can't help but ask you're an academic all-american that means studying a lot yes <laughs> how about balancing being a division one all-American goaltender with being an all-American student. That's like incredible. How'd you do it? Uh, you know, time management. I will, I will say that I was pretty disciplined. We go back into the discipline and uh, I learned that from my parents, but very disciplined in how I scheduled my days. Like it was very regimented. So I'll uh, get up early. Um, I was pretty strict about trying to stay um, uh, dialed in to school and sports during the week and then socializing just maybe on the weekend. So that is how I kind of live that portion of my life. So you went from a college player right into college coaching. Your first gig was at Cornell in the Ivy League, and it looks like you did a little bit of everything there over a handful of years. Um, tell, us, tell us more about that next stop and really first adult job. So I uh, graduated in 2002, and at that point, the Cornell women's lacrosse team had just been to the Final Four. Um, I knew from a pretty early age that I loved coaching, I loved helping people, and wanted that to be my career path, and uh, was fortunate enough to get up to... Uh, to Cornell and meet Jenny Grapp, who ultimately hired me. And then, you know, I was there for, geez, a while. Uh, uh, seven, seven years, I think, um, before I had my first child. And then I stepped away. Awesome. So um, when I first read your name, I knew your husband better than I knew you. Um, and I believe you were both at Cornell together. Did you guys meet at Cornell? We did. We actually met um, like my first week on the job. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> As if he was planted there. Yeah. yeah. Um, so, yeah, we met. Um, 
and it, it was like was he part of like the welcoming committee or something (laughs) like this Uh, nice yes absolutely so i have a question about director of ops what do they do exactly what are your responsibilities as a director of operations so uh, i'm assuming you're referring to duke um and i think it depends on the program so um actually uh kirsten former uh hereford high player there's a lot of hhs out there um that are actually really wonderful college coaches. Anyway, we had a former uh, relationship, and um, Ben was at Duke. I came down, told her I'd be happy to help her, and then um, so I was essentially responsible for um, helping out with camp and clinics. Um, a lot of administration stuff and yeah. travel, all the all the tedious details. I didn't do the travel, but okay. yeah, some of the other stuff. Mm-hmm. So in all your college roles, um, you were goalie coach. Walk me through this. What are all the different roles you've done yeah, as a college recruiting, coach? Defense. Recruiting, offensive coordinator, walk. Okay. Uh, different roles as a collegiate coach. Uh, defensive coach, goalie coach, recruiting coordinator. Dolo, mm. director yeah. of ops. And that, that's probably... I think. Did you find one of those positions more difficult or challenging for you personally than the others? I'm sure goalie coach wasn't. (laughs) (laughs) I don't know. There's some, (laughs) there's some interesting players out there, but no, I think they all presented um, really unique challenges in their own right. Um, And I think the struggle for me was learning because I'm so defensive minded was becoming a better offensive coach. So I would say that if there was an area of, of struggle for me was probably that end of the field and me needing to put more time into that. I certainly wasn't in charge of it, but me needing to put some more time in, um, seeing how sets and everything worked. Now, correct me if I'm wrong. So I'm going to go back a little bit and date myself. But when I watched some women play goal goalie, in like the 90s, it seemed a little bit different in style, not better or worse, than the guys. But in the past 10 years, they're kind of looking the same, positioning themselves the same. Agree? Don't agree? I agree. why is that? Um, I think there's a lot of male goalie coaches who are coaching the girls right now. I think it's kind of a a hybrid. Um, I think the shots are different than they were, you know, 10, 15 years ago because – the sticks are different and the shots are coming out different. So you're going to have to adjust and play a little bit differently. So I would say that most of the goalies nowadays are tending to um, hold back on the line a little bit closer. Instead, you know, in the olden days, my era, you would uh, come out a little bit more. So that has definitely changed. So, And then you watch the pros. I swear when I watch some of the pros on the men's side, the goalies are just like flinching. The shots are so strong, so hard. They either get hit, sometimes they make a save, but other times they just kind of freeze up and flinch, and it's just you right. know, these people are bringing it. Absolutely. Tell us about your time since college coaching. Um, your husband is the head coach at University of Delaware. You're, you now work at Next. Uh, are you involved in other coaching, teaching, and maybe some, some of what you do as a mom? Loaded question there, Coop. So life in Delaware, that's <laughs> funny ring to it, but we, we, are, uh, we are in northern Delaware. We're actually very close to Kennett Square. Um, I think I alluded to this earlier, but what's really awesome is, you know, we are so close to this Philly area, and that is why, you know, why I am where I am at Next. Um, the people at Next have been amazing, so... I gotta make sure that I talk about my uh, the women on this side, Kate Henwood, Candice Bossel, and uh, Jesse Martin. They've been uh, my people. So, um, yeah, tell us more about just your day to day gig here. I would compare it somewhat to what I do, where you help coach teams, you help run camps, um, you're recruiting, you're also helping athletes and guiding them away from the field, um, and probably some other cool stuff too. So. My role at Next is, I'm sure, very similar to you know a lot of the stuff that you're doing. But uh, essentially, I am in charge of directing girls' education, and then along with that, I oversee the middle school and youth teams and coach predominantly the 
25 black team and the 26s. And uh, I think the really cool thing is, you know, here I'm coaching, you know, a, a ninth grader who's a stud um, on the 25 black team. And then, you know, an hour later I'm coaching the 2031s and we're, you know, just trying to keep them moving because those kids got a lot of energy. So it's, uh, you learn a lot for sure. <laughs> One extreme to the other. And an extreme from college coaching to high schoolers all the way to the youth, that is oh, quite the experience. You have all the bases covered there, Coach. So, you know, you learn – I've learned so much along the way, but, you know, when I was at Cornell, I was having to coach these very intellectual kids who would ask these unbelievable questions and why am I doing this and tell me why I should be approaching at that angle and, you know, very intricate details. You go from that experience to – you know, coaching third graders who challenge you in a different way. So I think in both experiences, like, you're learning a great deal, but I actually think that being a youth coach has made me a better coach because you have to plan the practice totally different than how you would anything else. The, the kids have to be moving. You have to keep them engaged. You have to break down the skills to a level in which they can comprehend. And so, like, you're engaging, you know, in a lot of different areas there. But, uh, yeah, I have run the gamut. I have been a D1 coach. I've been a D3 volunteer coach. I've been a rec coach. I've been <laughs> a club coach. I mean, I've been a high school coach. So, yeah, I think I've, I've hit every box there. That's why I've needed you as I've taken on my new adventure with the <laughs> of coaching the young ladies in the box oh, yeah. with Coach Resch. And the most challenging group is exactly where you're going to come and help me in my last practice next <laughs> Tuesday, which is the youngest girls. And here we are teaching them an entirely different game. And I'm so proud of them with their helmets and their men's sticks and their pads and their gloves and the whole deal. And they are just so adorable. And at that age, they're also so like obedient. They listen to me. Boys never do that. That's good. They, yeah, they line up. The boys and, are spaced out. But they have yeah. been really great. But you're right. It's just a little bit like different working with youth. You have to be more creative, more prepared, go with them a little more. Yes. And Coop, you're an amazing teacher at the elementary school level. So I look down at you and I'm like, oh, I got to act more like that and <laughs> do more of that. Uh, everyone, everyone's like, who's this psycho coach covered in sweat? Yeah, but I, but I appreciate the compliment. But I think Take there's it. been real value in the women learning to get inside the rink and play box across. Oh, ab absolutely. I think that it's been, what, this is year two, and it's been great for the girls who need to work on their stick skills, especially in, in tight space. Um, and it's been a great avenue to, uh, to be creative, like we talked about as well. And they've learned to hit. It was funny when I was teaching them, hilarious. I was like, okay, here we go. Mm -hmm. And I was like, just give it to each other. You can cross-check. And a third of them were like, yeah, I don't really, I'm not <laughs> liking this. Another third were like, it's okay, can we do it again? And there was a third of them saying, I've been waiting for this. Let's roll, coach. Oh, <laughs> I can probably tell you who they are, too. Yeah, and I've been really impressed at the middle school level. Those young women are getting it, setting picks and rolling correctly and keeping their sticks to the inside good and running right over some of those young boys that we scrimmage against and it's been a great experience watching them and also teaching them they'd say well she's not open i said in box her stick is open she's not open but her stick is open yeah it's a much smaller window and they just nod like wow that's great insight coach so from box to thinking about other sports what are you telling your kids and what are you telling the girls that you coach about playing other sports and uh, how to navigate that? Great question. I do think it's so important that kids play multiple sports. Um, my two daughters play three sports each. Um, I actually do coach them in basketball as well, which is my, uh, I, I think I told you earlier, my good deed of the year. Uh, I volunteer to do that, which I think is wonderful. I don't know if they would say it. <laughs> Uh, I'll but. give you a pat on the back, too. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> wonderful for me. I mean, I get to coach. Um, probably not wonderful for everybody else. But, uh, um, And I do think that you learn different skills playing different sports. You, you learn to be maybe you're the best, you know, one of the best players on the lacrosse team. But, hey, maybe you're not the best 
player on the volleyball team and you need to work and earn your role um, to get on the court. And if all you do is play one sport, then you don't have those other experiences. And I do think that it makes for a well-rounded uh, athlete. And they get to hear other voices, different yes. coaching styles, different terminology. Right. I always appreciated when a young man brought other insights from a previous coach in a different sport to our team and said to me, hey, coach, you know, Coach Jackson does it this way. And if my ego could take it, I'd say that's great advice. <laughs> <laughs> I, I think basketball, I mean, I, I was actually a basketball player before I was a lacrosse player. I love the sport. And um, my best coach was my, my high school basketball coach, but took – so much from her, and I, I do think that those two sports are so transferable. Um, you might then might be a little different here and there, but uh, the same principles apply for sure. Now, kind of going in the same direction, but off a little bit. We talked pre-show about the different terminology in the men's game and the women's game, mm -hmm. which honestly has made it a little more challenging for Coach Coop and I to have some women coaches on, just because our language is different. Mm -hmm. So some of the terms we went over, I thought this would be a little bit fun yeah. to go different, same idea, different terms, but referring to the same concept between the men's and the women's game. Yep. So like, for example, in coaching my daughter's varsity team a little bit right after I retired from LaSalle, I would say things to the girls. One example was, all right, we are going to shut off on the opponent's team, number three and number five. And they would just stare at me like, what do you mean we're going to shut off? So Face we'll guard. Face guard. All right. <laughs> so shut off turns into face guard. Ready yep. for round two? Yep. Let's okay. do it. So when a save is made in the men's game and the, the team is attempting to clear the ball, we call, and we're trying to stop them, we call that riding. You call that? Well, it depends on which, which coach you're talking to because I, I say ride as well, but other coaches say redefend. Correct. Yes. So do you know where any of these different terms come from in no. the history of our two different That's a great wonderful question. games? I would Who say can we ask about this? Chris Goldberg. Yeah. Oh. Chris Goldberg. Yes. Yeah. 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 Totally. Or can you think of any others that, I mean, those two really baffled me because I'd get in the car and say, what am I doing wrong? Riding, redefending, shutting off. Oh, man up, man down. Are we still man up, man down? Yeah. Mm -hmm. Okay, that's good. Yeah. Because... I was calling it a power play, thinking this time I, I was right, but I was wrong. I'm trying to think. That's a good question. I, I don't know of many more, but those, those are the two big ones. Okay. And timeouts. Where can a coach and cannot call a timeout? Can and cannot. So this has changed quite a bit, and the high school and college game are different. So... Not quite, yeah. <laughs> so, well, take me through the uh, high school game because I just got finished experiencing that. Well, in the high school game, before you would have to blow the horn to then get the official's attention to then call the timeout. That is not the case anymore. Um, that can just happen as if they can hear you. Then that's a that's a tricky part, especially in uh, the state of Delaware when you know you have some officials who you know, are not as young as they used to be, trying to run up and down the field, trying to get their attention, yell timeout. And so that that's where it is right now. Okay, so walk me through my little situation that I had. <laughs> so here I am, low-level assistant, women's lacrosse, enjoying myself at the high school level. And one of our young ladies was clearing the ball up the sideline on our end, but she was in trouble. Like, we're trying to get the ball to the other end. You had the ball. We had the ball, okay. and we're clearing up the sideline. But but it's going to be a problem because the opponents are closing in. Okay. Men's lacrosse, I could get a quick timeout and save that possession before it's taken from her as the world closes in on her. You can do that. All right, good. Yeah. Because I thought so. But I, I called it. I said, timeout, timeout, which I shouldn't be doing because I'm not the head You're coach. You're not the head coach. Correct. Mm -hmm. So the referee looked at me and said just that. You're not the head coach. And you can get penalized. Yeah. She said, we're going to give you a pass, Coach Leahy. And I was like, thank you. I don't know what I did wrong. <laughs> Speaking of uh, how to act as, as a coach, I know that Coach Leahy is going to be running a training session for a lot of our boys' staff this upcoming weekend. So I wanted to ask both of you, you know, how do you evaluate, train, develop younger coaches that you work with? Um, Laurie, for you at Next, maybe it's someone that works at camp with us and you want to work with us in the future. Um, maybe feedback you're giving them. Bill, maybe it's a, an assistant coach that's working with you for the first time. Um, what are some tips? I think 
number one is is be professional. Show up willing to work. Um, look the part. Uh, that's half the battle. Don't, for me, you asked me earlier, my pet peeve, do not show up in flip-flops. Um, please show up in sneakers because we need you to be either de demoing or um, showing the kids how to do something. Um, and then... Shoes tied. Shoes tied, you know, you're, you're ready to go. And then, the, honestly, the, the biggest thing is have energy. Like, you need to show the kids that you are excited to be there, so they're going to be excited to be there. I think that that translates um, really well. And if you're not bringing your A game, how are you expecting them to do the same? So, um, and then just trying to give feedback as much as you can um, and be kind of receptive to what the, what the kids are needing as well. So on Sunday, we're going to take the youth coaches from next and the uh, middle school coaches and have them go to the NLA, the Next Lacrosse Academy, where college coaches will be running drills for young high school athletes, lacrosse players, who are uh, getting ready to try out for their high school teams. Yeah. And the goal of our training is to make sure that these youth coaches learn not only learn new drills, but learn the purpose of the drill. So hopefully, is my hope, that the college coach will say, here's our drill, here's why we do this drill, here's how this drill reflects and is used within the concept of our systems. Mm -hmm. And then here's how we're going to execute at a high speed through this drill. And that the youth coaches that will be with me, we can all kind of watch and then talk a little bit about what we're seeing, ask the college coach some questions, and then move on to the next station, next drill, and maybe roll through 8, 9, 10, and then go to a room and kind of break it down and debrief. So it's my hope that these youth coaches will see a bunch of new drills and maybe they can find five or six that work for them or even uh, modified versions. There's no, uh, it's not a problem to take a drill and then break it down so that it works for third graders or, you know, speed it up so it works for eighth graders. Um, and I think it's going to be a good, we've done virtual sessions where we did uh, inverting and we did an off-ball session, remember, comparing it to Yoda and all the different <laughs> wisdom of, you know, it's so hard to teach to how to play. out. It's so hard to teach book. how to play off the ball, and it's something coaches don't train at. And that, they have to be drilled, too. There has to be off-ball drills if you expect your kids to have it in their muscle memory. Um, we won't be probably seeing many off-ball drills on Sunday, but if the guys can walk away with a handful of new drills and apply it to their teams and the young people and trust it to their care, then that will have been a good training day. That's awesome. I think, too, um, going along with that, having the coach be prepared. So I'm sure you guys do this, but – you know, sending out the practice plan ahead of time for them to look over it and making sure that when you, you know, you get to the field, you know exactly what you're responsible for and have the layout for what you're, you might need for the drill or how you want it or how you want the coach to run it. Um, so, yeah, little interesting side story on coaches coming at the high school level, at a competitive level. Like Sal, I had a young man say, I love that you pro post the practice schedule. However, our games don't unfold. We can't play them out. So every once in a while, can you not post it? So we all have to figure it out uh -huh. while we're out there. And I said, yeah, sure. I like that better. <laughs> Just give it to you, and you won't know what's coming. But that's I'll, what happens. I'll relax yeah. on my lunch break today. Yeah, I know, right? It's good insight from hmm. a player. All right, as we bring this home, Coach, it's been a thrill to have you. We're going to do our rapid-fire next homework section. Let's go! So I'm going to give you a group, like parents, coaches, or players, and you're going to quickly give them your homework assignment. Ready to roll? I'm ready. Okay. Let's do it. What homework do you have for parents who are listening? Allow your kids to fail and make mistakes. What homework do you have for a coach who's listening? Create a culture where the players care for each other off of the field. And for players, their homework? Do the next right thing. And then last, what are you currently reading or listening to? So um, I just finished um, actually a book by John Gordon, um, The No Complaining Rule. And um, I'm on James Clear Atomic uh, Habits. I am listening to um, Adam Grant, Work Life. And I've listened to Brene Brown in the past too. But there's my, those are my uh, combos right now. All good recommendations. John Gordon, that, wait, do you have a favorite? I mean, I have read The Energy Bus. And uh, the 21, well, which ties into my husband actually coached uh, George Boyardi. Um, so 
the um, hard hat the hard hat book is one of our favorites. Yeah, how could it not be? The twenty one principles of how to be a great teammate. Exactly. I recommended that last night to a fourth grader who said one of his goals is be a better teammate. Mm-hmm. And we said, well, how are you going to go do it? He's like, I don't know. I said, just look up the book. That'll be a good <laughs> place to start. Maybe there's a poster of the uh, images. So some great recommendations there. Yeah. My favorite John Gordon book is you win in the locker room. How oh, important okay. the space in the locker room is and that you can win an awful lot of games without even walking onto the field. You That's win awesome. in the locker room. I, I love that. I love that phrase. And one really cool thing that uh, I wanted to mention to you before is um, one thing that I used to say in my Sanford huddle, and it's really cool because one of the girls just told me about this recently. We broke it down and would say, yes, I can. Yes, I will. And after the season ended, my player, Maddie, texted me and was like, coach, I still, I still hear that voice in my head outside of the lacrosse field. And I'm like, okay, I've done my job. All right. Well, that's what you said earlier. That's the impact of a good coach into the future. So, Thanks for having me. This was awesome. Thank you. Tremendous. Uh, thank you, Laurie, for your time, your thoughtful conversation with us here. I was telling Bill on the way in, we've never been more prepared. Some of it was your long resume. Some of it was the notes you added. And uh, it was really fun just to get to know you better, hear your story. We look forward to having you back in the future. It would be great to see you get more comfortable on the microphone and join us back here in uh, the studio for some more episodes. So look forward to you helping us land some future guests on the female side um, so we can all learn more about women's lacrosse. With that, that's a wrap for episode eight of season three from our new offices here in Conshohocken, Pennsylvania. For Justin, Coach Leahy, and Laurie DeLuca, we're signing off. Thanks for listening. Shout out to Bar Luca and the Blue Hens. Good job, Thanks, Coach. guys. Yeah. All right, I did it. <laughs>